wave your hand there. Uh, little Philip has a few for you. He has a few there. And uh, if we run out, we'll get some more. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 and the last verse. And um, as you know, next week is uh, Thanksgiving week. And we'll be having our midweek service, a special Thanksgiving service on Wednesday night. And so we'd encourage you to be out for that, and uh, then you can spend the holiday with with friends and family. But uh, tonight we're going to start in verse 26, and, and Paul is summarizing here everything to this point. He says, Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, there were problems in the church of Galatia. The problems were that people had come in from outside the church and they were trying to uh, uh, enlighten the the people of these churches. In fact, it seems that it was an infection that had spread uh, to the entire area that somehow you could be a better Christian if you not only obeyed the teachings of Jesus, but you should keep the traditions uh, of the Jewish people. And, and, of course, we know that this still goes on today. The problem is not the traditions of the Jewish people necessarily so much as it is uh, the traditions of possibly Ellen G. White or the traditions of other uh, other people who... Uh, uh, have come on the scene and have tried to uh, improve uh, on the gospel of Christ. Of course, the Bible word is pervert. Uh, uh, Because you can't improve on what God did. What he did is all that we need. But here's what happens when we do not walk in the Spirit, when we do not live in the Spirit, we become desirous of vainglory. There's another word for that. It's called selfishness or self-centeredness. You know, why does Benny Hinn need a TV camera when he has a healing service? Because he wants people to pay attention to any hen. I mean, where, how would the offerings be if it weren't working that way? How, why do these people, I remember um, years ago we had quite a bit of problem with uh, the followers of Sung Young Moon. They would show up and they'd say, we have a Sunday school material for your church. It's about families. And of course, I always snicker when people talk about families because I'll bet mine's bigger than yours. Amen. And uh, so uh, I'm sitting here looking at this guy, and, he, and, and I said, can I see that? And I flipped through and flipped through. Finally, I get to like the last page in little tiny print, Unification Church. I said, you guys are a bunch of moonies, aren't you? And he looked at me. Well, if you mean we're followers of the Reverend Sung Young Moon, yes. I said, get out of here. I said, we have nothing to do with that nutcase. You know why? Because he is seeking glory to himself. Here's his quote. 
I didn't want to fix the mistakes that Jesus made, but after the third time that He came to me begging me to solve the problems He created, I consented that I would do something. The arrogance. I mean, it just makes my hair stand up on head. And to quote that guy. How, how vile can you be? And you see... What happens when we desire vainglory is we are trying to put ourselves in front of other people. Years ago, I had a fellow, he left our church. He says, I'm leaving your church. And I said, why Why would you leave our church? And he says, because you put too much emphasis on the Bible. He said, well, if there's any reason to leave this church, that's a good one. He says, you don't care a thing about the writings of other men. That's exactly correct. We don't care who the man is except Jesus. We don't care where the writings are except for the Bible because it always leads to self-centeredness. It always leads to desiring vainglory. I've seen this happen even to some preachers that have gotten up and they write books and everybody says, man, I like your book. Uh, I remember uh, a quote that was passed around in certain circles, not ours, of course, said, well, I got my Bible and Dr. So-and-so's book and we'll just get it done. You know what? You don't need your Bible in anybody else's book. And what we want to do here is Paul is warning the Galatians You see, this is what is going to happen because this was what was happening in the Galatian church. If you didn't go along with the new idea of keeping all the commandments and and becoming Jewish in your traditions, guess what? You got provoked. You, You got looked down upon. You got treated in a way that wasn't right. Uh, between Christians and, and the Christians, the, uh, quote unquote Christians that were trying to keep all of these rules, they started looking inside the church at each other saying, oh man, maybe I can be like them. Oh, I wish I could be like him. And who was writing this letter, by the way? What had the Apostle Paul already told them? He said, I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals. He said, I was exceeding zealous of the traditions of the fathers in the book of Philippians. And he said, I do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And Paul was trying to get them because you get them to understand that it's not about you and what you do. It's about Jesus and what he's done. I hope you never get tired of hearing me repeat that. And the reason I repeat it so often is because everywhere you go in the world, it's all about you, isn't it? I mean, you sit down at the restaurant. It's all about you. I mean, they're going to bring out what you want, and they'll bring it out the way you want it. And uh, if you don't want the the, uh, waiter to talk to you too much, he'll be quiet. And if you want him to talk to you until your ears fall off, I mean, uh, that's, that's what the world does. They try to... Service, they try to make you happy. How long does that last? 
till you get the check. Right? Because the better job they do, the more money it costs. But in the church of Jesus Christ, what are we trying to do? We're trying to serve Jesus Christ. And there's only one way you're going to do that. You begin living in the Spirit the moment you get saved. But you have to choose to walk in the Spirit. And that's where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. And that's where the things that are so important in our lives begin to happen, not because of us, but because of the Holy Spirit. And so we get to chapter 6 as Paul is closing out the, the book here. And he says, brethren... He's talking to fellow Christians. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now, as Paul is referring to brethren, we go back to verse 1, and he addresses this letter to the churches of Galatia. And so what he is saying here, and we understand this in the context of the book of Acts and, and other letters that Paul has written, these instructions are to be carried out in the fellowship of the local church. And so we have people that are members of a church that will be overtaken with a fault. Now, this whole idea of overtaken, normally when we use the word overtake, uh, we think of a highway. And you're driving down the highway, and all of a sudden you see a blur out of the rearview mirror. Uh, you've been overtaken by another car. Uh, that's kind of the idea here. It, it is to be tricked. It is to be caught unawares. It is not purposefully choosing. You know, sometimes people purposefully choose to disobey God and the things that the Bible tells us. How do we know that they have purposefully chosen to do these things rather than being overtaken in a fault? Well, here's the way it works is when you approach that person, they don't want help. You, you approach that person and they say, I'm fine, leave me alone. Do you remember the rules that Jesus gave to the church in Matthew chapter 18? He said, if thy brother trespass against thee, go to him alone. And if he hear thee, thou hast... You've, you've brought your brother back. The, the, it's restored. And if he won't hear thee, you take two or three witnesses with you. One or two, I'm sorry. That in the mouth of two, witness, two or three witnesses, every word can be established. And if he won't hear them, take it to the church. And of course, I like to remind you that Acts chapter, I mean, Matthew chapter 18 happened a good while before Acts chapter 2. And those people that like to have the church starting on the day of Pentecost got a problem because Jesus was already instructing his church how to behave in Matthew chapter 18. And what we're looking for here 
is an organic living connection between the Savior and His church. That's why when somebody comes along, oh, why don't we pick on Muhammad right now? 500 or so years after the time of Jesus Christ and says an angel has given me new revelation. Galatians chapter 1 takes care of that, does it not? Uh, And I have come to straighten out the church of Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus' church did not need straightened out. The problem with the prophet Muhammad was he didn't know the proper definition because there's always been people who call themselves Christians that weren't Christians. That's always been. Read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says, many are going to say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, right? And so, what we have going on is we have people who are overtaken in a fault. And they need to be restored. Now, how are they going to be restored? It tells us that we need a spiritual brother or sister, a spiritual member of the church to come alongside that person that has been overtaken and help them back. The reason we know that someone has been overtaken is because they're still humble enough in their spirit and they're willing to let someone give them a hand. You can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. Isn't that true? How many of you have ever tried? Okay. I'm not trying to be mean tonight. But, you see, the brother that's overtaken in a fault, the way we know he's overtaken is because he's willing to be helped. And the spiritual one, the way they, we know that they are spiritual, is because they're trying to help someone that needs to be helped. So, if you find yourself trying to help someone that doesn't need to be helped, here's the mean part. You need to examine your spirituality. Because it tells us there's a special way that this has to be done. It says, in The spirit of meekness. Now, meekness is one of the fruit of the spirit. But what does meekness mean? How many remember the meekest man in the Bible? Say it out loud if you remember. Nice and loud. Moses is the meekest man above all men on the earth, the Bible tells us. Moses was being meek when he put down the rod and drowned the entire army and Pharaoh in the Red Sea. That was meekness. You know why? God told him to do it. See, Moses was not operating under his own authority. He was operating under God's authority. And the spirit of meekness that is being spoken about here is... The spirit of being under God's authority. How do you become a spiritual Christian? You become a spiritual Christian by being a better part of the body of Christ. Would anybody argue about that? I mean, that's just how simple it is. 
How do I be a better part of the body of Christ? The body of Christ is the local church of which we are members. We make up the different parts of this body. And the more controlled we are by Jesus Christ, the more spiritual we are. And so, when we are operating under the direct direction of the Holy Spirit of God, that qualifies for being spiritual. But see, in the church, if we're going to really be spiritual, God has put some order in the church. And so you're going to serve under direction of the leadership that is in the church. That's what meekness is. It says here that ye which are spiritual, by the way, is there any place in the Bible where I can go to and find out how spiritual I am? Is there a spiritual maturity test on page 5,332 of your Bible? And if you have a real Bible, it's only got about 1,200 pages. Um, No, there's not. So how does that thing work? I remember going into a church one time, and my wife and I, we were traveling from church to church trying to raise support to come here. And um, we, we put up our mission display, and a, and a guy comes walking up like, Wow, you're going to New York City. Wow. He says, God's called me. And he, I can't even remember where he said God called him to be a missionary to. Uh, but I never forgot the last half of the sentence. He said, but my pastor doesn't believe it. And I'm sitting there going, I think I believe your pastor. Because there was a spirit there that was back in verse 26 of chapter 5. I mean, it was, it was all about him. And that was a scary thing to me. And I, I remember when I first went to Brother Thompson, and those of you that know Brother Thompson know uh, how kind and gentle he is most of the time. Uh, I'm being a little sarcastic there. And I said, Brother Thompson, uh, uh, I was just wondering about uh, if if we were going to be able to go out of the Cleveland Baptist Church when we start a church in New York City. And he said, well, I guess we'd better ordain you, hadn't we? That was his way of saying, we love you, we care about you, and we're going to take care of this. He, he was known for his gentleness. No, he wasn't. He was known for being very <laughs> abrupt, but he loved people. Those of you that know when he was here, you know that he loved people because you got to when you're God's man. And you see, this is how we can know that we're growing. Is when someone here on earth taps us on the shoulder and says, Hey, I got a job for you. I got something for you to do. And the Bible says that the heart of that spiritual person understands that I too could be destroyed by this exact same temptation. 
Have you ever met someone who solved a problem in their life and they tried to help you solve the same problem? I remember years ago, uh, I wasn't part of the conversation, but uh, I had witnessed part of it. I mean, I just happened to be there and the guy was just raking this fellow over the coals because he couldn't quit smoking. And he ended the conversation something like this. He said, I don't understand what your problem is. I quit smoking in just a few days and you've been struggling all this time. I don't get it. Really helped that fellow a lot, didn't he? You know what? There's nothing more dangerous Uh, There is nothing more harmful than I have in my outline or worth less than a self-centered Christian. You see, the next verse tells us, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If a man, for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And so we start with this first little section here tonight. If someone's overtaken in a fault, and and I've titled the entire section here, uh, we're in the practical working of the gospel. Paul has defined how the gospel works and what the gospel is. And in chapters 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, he starts off, with telling us to stand fast in the liberty that is in Christ. And now we're to the action part of it. He's explained to us the law versus grace or bondage versus liberty, how it's practically worked out in our life. And he's spent time on the work of the Holy Spirit. Now he's giving us the work of the Christian. And the work of the Christian is to keep my eyes off me and keep them on Christ enough that I can be free to help my brethren that are overtaken in faults. You see, we have to bear other people's burdens. Now, when we get down to verse 4, though I'm not sure we're going to get there tonight, it says, but let every man prove his own work. Verse 5 says, every man shall bear his own burden. This is not a contradiction. But there are times in your life when you will not be able to bear your own burdens. And it's going to take someone to come alongside who is spiritual. Because help from an unspiritual Christian, a self-centered Christian, is the most harmful thing in the realm of Christianity. And so, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I want you to turn with me back to Matthew chapter 22. And, of course, this was the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry, the week in which he was crucified. Uh, 
And the Pharisees were tempting him. And verse 36, he says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, how come those people who are trying to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments don't love their neighbors as themselves? You see, Jesus said, upon these two principles, upon these two commandments, I'm sorry, they're not principles, they are commands of God to love God with everything you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. If, if we understand our Bible correctly, the natural response of a person who loves God who has God's love in them, is to love those people who are around them. And hereby know that we keep the commandments. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. We've got to, I mean 3, we've got to get that verse in there. First John chapter 3. I'm sorry, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. You see, if we're going to fulfill the law of Christ and bear one another's burdens... We have to do that by keeping the law of Christ. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. If we keep his commandments, what's going to happen? It says, hereby we know that we love the children of God. I'll tell one quick story and then we'll be done. And I've, I think I've told this story before, but I remember my wife and I, when we were first married, we were there at Cleveland Baptist Church, and we were going out on visitation, and uh, one night, uh, they had it every uh, Thursday night, and so uh, we got a visit, and the guy that gave us the card, he smiled, and he says, I'm going to give this one to you. And I'm sitting here going, huh, I wonder what this is all about. Well, come to find out that the guy we were visiting was actually a graduate of the Christian school in the church and had attended church faithfully and hadn't been in church for several years at that point. And so uh, since I was the new guy, I got to go visit him. And so uh, we knocked on the door and, and he looked at me and said, I'll bet you're from the church. And I said, yeah, yeah, we are. I just sent by to visit you. And he said, you know that I graduated Heritage Christian School? I said, no, I didn't know that. Nobody told me anything before I showed up. I mean, I'm sitting here going, oh boy, here we go. 
He says, you know, I don't come to that church because Pastor Folger, he, he is the meanest man alive. Now, how many of you know Pastor Folger? I mean, you could say that about Brother Thompson and somebody would believe you, but you can't say that about Brother Folger. And, and I'm sitting there going, what? You mind filling me in? I said, I've only been here a couple of uh, weeks. I was traveling with Brother Clayton and, and uh, we just got married and we're here at the church. And he says... He told me I didn't love my wife. He says, and I love my wife, don't I? And they were sitting there on the couch and he kissed her and everything was rather sickening. But anyway, we, we got into the conversation and he said, Pastor Folger said, I didn't love my wife because I didn't make sure she was saved before I married her. Oh, 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 oh wait a minute. And I turned to his wife and I said, could I just ask you a question? Are, are you saved? And she looked at me and she says, no. What is it? And I looked at him. I said, would you mind if I explain to your wife what it means to be saved the Bible way? And he said, no, go ahead. Just like that. And so my wife and I sat there with her. And she trusted the Lord as her Savior that night. And I ask you the question, how could you marry someone and profess your undying love for them and not be concerned about their eternity? You know what? I'm on Pastor Folger's side of that thing. How about you? You see, that night, we were able to fulfill the law of Christ and bear a burden that that young man refused to carry. The burden for his wife's own salvation. Let me tell you something. This is what God's love is supposed to do in our hearts. We're, we're not supposed to run around trying to solve other people's problems. There's another Bible word for that. It's called busybody. It's, it's not a nice word, trust me. In the Greek or in the English, it's not a nice word. How do you know that you are spiritual? Well, you don't. But God will put you in a situation where you can do something with proper direction. You might want to just Put one eye toward heaven and say, thank you, Lord, for giving me a job to do. But get your eye back on Jesus as quick as you can because it is so easy. Have you ever met someone that believed their own press clippings? I mean, everybody wrote nice things about them and they got thinking that they were nice all by themselves. I mean, we got some of those presidential candidates, I think, fall in that category. Uh, uh, you don't want to meet a Christian like that. You don't want to become a Christian like that now, do you? The only way you don't is you have to walk in the Spirit. And if you're walking in the Spirit, guess what? Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Read Philippians chapter 3. Paul said that I may know him. 
and the power of his resurrection. He said, I want to apprehend that which I'm already apprehended of. Be not desirous of vain glory. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what Paul was saying here? He's saying, you Judaizers think you're something special because of what you've done. And I want you to know something. God looks at you as nothing. Because your Christianity is not about what you do. Your Christianity is about what Jesus has done. And those that are spiritual are going to be operating in a spirit of meekness under the direction of the Holy Spirit Himself. But guess what? When you're under the direction of the Holy Spirit, you're working in and through His local church. It just has to be. There's nothing else in the New Testament for a Christian to live in and work through. And when we do that, we bear one another's burdens. And we fulfill the law of Christ. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And Lord, we ask that you would help us. Lord, I cannot think, help but think, about bearing one another's burdens as we contemplate the, uh, the work that needs to be done concerning the Union Baptist Church in Greenpoint. And so, Lord, we come before you and ask that we would be spiritual. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit superintend every step of that plan. But, Lord, much, just as every bit as much as important, we pray that you would give us that same spirit of meekness between members of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And, Lord, that we would strive to bear one another's burdens right here in this room. And, Lord, that it would be done in a way that only you could get credit for. We ask you to work in our hearts. Teach us from your word. In your name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads.